So glad that you guys are here, man, for the beginning, the brand new series called Hot Seat. Can you feel it? You feel it's hot in here. No, I'm just kidding. I can feel the heat, man. It's the Holy Spirit in this place, man. I'm so excited. I'm jumping in the hot seat today. We're tackling a topic that is very controversial, divisive, but the world is out there speaking it, and we just need to discover what the Word of God says about some of these controversies. So today, we're taking on the topic of gender and sexuality. Sexuality, yeah. So this topic is drastically changing our culture, isn't it? At a rapid pace, the world is different than 10 years ago, five years ago. This is just changing. And I just want to, so let me ask you a favor for anyone who's whatever stage of life or faith or lifestyle, wherever you're at today, can I ask a favor? Can you just give me the next, I don't know, 30, 40 so minutes or something like that? Um, before you put up any walls and get defensive or develop debates or arguments in your own mind against what I'm saying, can I ask for a favor? Just give me the next 30 or 40 minutes to navigate through the Word of God, and then maybe at the end of this entire talk, you can maybe then begin to debate your own uh, self or dialogue or, or put up whatever walls you want then, but just can, can we have a healthy dialogue for the next 30 or 40 minutes around what God says about this topic, because today, today, church, I want to give you, I want to give you hope. I want to give you clarity. There's a lot of parents that are hurting here today or watching today that um, this is close to home with our children that are dealing with gender dysphoria or same-sex attraction, and what do we do with that? Maybe you're an educator here today, and you're put in situations that maybe you feel compromised, and you don't know how to feel and what to think about that, or maybe you're here today, and you have some gender confusion or you have same-sex attraction. I, I want you to know, listen, please, from the bottom of my heart, Veronica and I love you so much. I am so, we are so glad that you are here at Discovery, that you are part of our family and our community. And I want you to know that this, Discovery Church, is a safe place for you to be transparent about the challenges and the struggles that are absolutely real for you, that this is a place that you can go on a journey of faith no matter where you're at. Can I get an amen, church? Amen? Okay, so this is so important for me to believe and to set that framework because historically, the historical church, and I just want you to see it, you guys, they said you need to believe and behave. Like, I believe, make sure you believe, and then behave if you want to belong here. And if at any moment you don't believe or behave right, you're out of here. You don't, you don't belong. And I just want you to see that is not the, the church of Jesus Christ. That is not the gospel. That is not discovery. Let me show you the pattern that Jesus models. Jesus says, come on, come close to me, everyone afar off. Come and belong so that you can see and believe in order for you to not, not behave, in order for you to become. See, God is not interested. Jesus is not interested in your behavioral modification. He's interested in an inward transformation. You may be mad at God today. Like today, I, it's not my job to get you to believe God or to love God. My job today is to reveal to you a God who loves you. Okay? Because some of you, you're here today and you're mad at God. You're disappointed with God. I got good news for you. He's madly in love with you. Some of you are here today and you don't even, you don't even really believe in God. You, you may hate God. Here's the good news. God loves you. Okay? So you may be disappointed. You may be you know, mad at God because of the way he... Because you're... The way, what he did for you or didn't do for you or how he created you or didn't create you. And, and here's the message today. None of that changes how God feels about you. God loves you just the way you are. And Veronica and I in this church love you just who you are and where you are today. 
I know some people won't like this sermon that I'm about to preach, but I'm not seeking popularity or followers. I'm seeking a well-done, good and faithful servant. I want to lead people to encounter the love of God. So let me kind of set some foundation before we jump into this topic and gain understanding. Let me, I hope you're taking some notes. I gave you some handouts. If not, it's up here on the screen as well or online. Check this out. Write this down. Acceptance is not the same thing as approval. Some have tried to convince you or tried to say otherwise that in order to accept me, you got to approve of everything I do. And there is a difference between acceptance and approval. Now listen, we are called to accept every person no matter what, but we don't have to approve of their lifestyle. Acceptance means to love people no matter who they are, where they are, or what they've done. It means that you love people no matter what. That's what acceptance is, and that's what you find in Christ. That's what you find in any biblical Christian community. Here's the second truth that you need to see, is that your sexual orientation is not the foundation of your identity. Okay? So is it, is it ingrained in that? Yes, but it's not the foundation of your identity. Okay? So there was this recent Gallup poll. They asked, what percentage of population do you think is gay or bisexual? And people said, based upon what they saw, they said, well, it's like about 23% was the average. But the percentage of the U.S. population, let me break it down for you, that are homosexual are 1% to 2%. Bisexual, 2 to 4%. Intersex, 1 to 4%. Asexuality, 1%. Transgenderism is only 0.1 to 0.6% of the U.S. population. Actually, a recent Gallup poll found that, that 5.6% of U.S. adults identify as LGBT, up from 4.5% in 2017. So it's growing, but where it's growing the most, parents, this concerns you. Where it's growing most, 16% of Generation Z identify themselves as LGBTQIA+++. There are, there are now, to date, 72 different gender options. So, so this is changing. What we, what we have known about gender for many years is changing. Medical news states this, gender is different from sex. Although genetic factors typically define a person's sex, gender refers to how they identify on the inside. Only the person themselves can determine what their gender identity is. So the question today is like, is that true? I mean, this is what the world believes, and it's, it's infiltrating everywhere. In fact, 70% are, are actually 70 children's programs today on TV are featuring 269 characters that are not the typical gender, but a variety of gender identities. Shows that feature this are Blue's Clues, My Little Pony, DuckTales, She-Ra, DC Superhero Girls, Clifford the Big Red Dog, and Star Wars Resistance, to name a few. Toy makers are getting in on this as well. Hasbro, some of you guys have probably seen this. Mr. Potato Head is not Mr. Potato Head anymore. He's just Potato Head. And I can go on and on and on with media and popular culture. There is a promotion of what we might call the transgender agenda. In many parts of the country, educators are encouraged to take their students on a gender exploration journey as early as fourth grade without parental consent. This is happening in California, Connecticut, Arizona, and other states as well. This is one of the tools that they use. It's something called the gender-bred man, that they, without consent, will go on an exploration journey with their students. 
And what they're trying to identify, I know it's really small for you, I'll probably post this later, but it's, they're trying to identify, it'll get taken down, what am I saying? Um, identity, <laughs> attraction, expression, and sex. So there's four different factors that, that determine your gender, and it has a spectrum. So in fact, there is an infinite amount of genders based upon the spectrum that you believe about one of those four factors. So in Oregon, a 15-year-old can medically transition to the other gender without parental consent. It's the world we live in right now. A, Browns, a Brown University professor published a study that has since been suppressed by the LGBT community, but in his study he found this, that rapid onset gender dysphoria among teens and young adults may be a social contagion linked with having friends who identify with LGBT and identity politics, peer culture, and increased internet use. Parents, listen to me, please. You cannot let social media raise your kids and teach them about sexuality. You, today in our, like you have to start even younger. And I have this book. I want to, anyone who's a parent today, take a picture, write this book down. It's called The Talk, Seven Lessons to Introduce Your Child to Biblical Sexuality. You should be having, please listen parents, you should be having the talk about gender and sexuality with your children starting at the age of six years old. Now, don't give them the whole gamut. You don't need to give them everything. But start the conversation about gender and sexuality at that age, and it progresses as they mature. Now, get the book, flip through it, because there's, you know, don't open it in front of the kids. There's some pictures in there that you may not want them to see at that stage. But you start that discussion. In fact, you may, some of you parents may start considering alternative forms of education other than public, government-ran, state-led Education. We have a school we started just this year, Discovery Christian School. So if, if maybe that's something or a, a, just a different option for maybe that's something to consider. So the big question today, though, is what does the Bible say? I mean, we hear about, there. okay, these opinions and those opinions and, these, uh, and what you think and you think and you think. Okay, what is it? we get there's a lot out there. But what does the Word of God say about gender and sexuality? Let me start here with Romans chapter 12. Verses 1 through 2, it says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your what? Your bodies. God is concerned with what you do with your bodies. He says, offer these bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And then he says, that's actually your true and proper worship. And then he says this, do not conform to what the world is teaching you, what the world is saying, the pattern of the culture of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then when you do that, you're going to be able to test and approve through all the confusion and chaos what the will of God is, the good, perfect, and pleasing will of God. So you've got you to learn a new way to think before you can master a new way to be, is what he's saying. So let me give you some truths here. i got five of them for you today, okay? Now, let's go on the journey. Don't put up the wall. Let me give you all five before you combat me, okay? Here's number one. Number one, our bodies are wonderfully made. That's just straight out of Scripture. The media has been pushing a narrative of beauty and has been glamorizing what feminine beauty looks like, what, what male masculinity looks like or beauty. This is what sexy looks like. This is what attractive looks like. A woman who's sexy and attractive looks like, a man who's handsome looks like this. You need to know, child of God, you are beautiful. You are wonderfully made. Every color and shape and size, you are wonderfully made by God. And that comes right out of Scripture, Psalm 139, verse 14. 
You, God, made all the delicate inner parts of my body. That means all the, the reproductive organs and everything in there. God, you made that and you knit me together in my mother's womb. You put all of that together. Far before I was in the mind of my parents, I was in the heart of God. God designed me wonderful. I did a lot of research on, on this, and there's one of the startling things I found about this idea of being knit together in our mother's womb, I know it's, it's not directly connected, but it kind of is, is the reasons why parents abort their children. Surprising reasons why parents abort their children for minor deformities. One of the biggest reasons that parents abort their children is a cleft lip. For just a cleft lip. And, and here's why I say it, that we live in a culture that at the core is saying to babies before they're born and children after they're born that they are not wonderfully made and they are they are one they are beautiful and wonderfully made by god and this is foundational for our understanding of sexuality that our bodies are wonderfully made here's the second truth our bodies are sexually defined by god and for our good this is a very significant truth foundational to any discussion about sexuality because most every discussion about sexuality begins with a different foundation. Much of the discussion about sexuality today begins with the foundation of self. So we may see things like this. Well, be true to yourself and live your truth and you do what makes you happy. You see, no one has the right to tell you what is right or wrong. Only you get to determine the standards of right and wrong. This is the mantra. Be true to how you feel, what you think, regardless of biology, regardless of what your parents say, regardless of what culture says. You'll be happy and fulfilled only when you are true to you. And we desperately need to at least ask this question. What if that foundation is not true? What if you are not the center of the universe and the universe does not revolve around you? And what if God is at the center of the universe? And what if everything revolves around him? What if then the purpose of my body is not self-gratification, but the purpose of my body is God-glorification? See, that truth, that foundation, it changes everything about this topic of gender and sexuality. Because you know what the biggest offense of the Bible is? It's in the, actually the very first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1-1. Christianity is offensive to very many people in our world today, and it will continue to be, but the biggest offense is in the first words, in the beginning, God. That's the initial verse, that there is a God who creates us, who has authority over us, who, who we will be accountable to. Now suddenly the focus isn't tr be true to yourself, the focus is be true to God. It's not be true to how you feel, it's be true to what, who God is and what he says. What does God say? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, 28. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then he says, God blessed them and said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. According to scripture, there are two genders. Male and female created in God's image, meaning there are aspects of God's image in the female gender and that there are aspects of God's image in the male gender and together male and female reflect God 
both beautifully crafted in his image with equal dignity and equal honor, not male above female, not female above male, but both divinely designed by a God who loves them with 100 million nucleated cells carrying copies of male and female chromosomes all for our good from the very beginning for our flourishing as humans, male and female, together in marriage. And Jesus... And the New Testament states the same, Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? They record that from the beginning, God made them male and female. See, what's at the root of confusion today over what male and female is, is the elevation of the subjective experience over objective truth. Meaning this, in other words, self-perception eclipses biology. And so, but according to the word of God, our gender identity is not a social construction. It's a supernatural creation. That the good and loving creator of the universe has defined you, male or female, for your good. Here's what Colin Wright, an evolutionary biologist, says in his study. In humans, as in most animals or plants, an organism's biological sex corresponds to one of two distinct types of reproductive anatomy that develop for the production of small or large sex cells, sperm and eggs respectively, and associated biological functions in sexual reproduction. In humans, reproductive anatomy is unambiguously male or female at birth more than 99.98% of the time, meaning at 0.02% there's some sexual reproductive deformity. The evolutionary function of these two anatomies is to aid in reproduction via the fusion of sperm and ova. No third type of sex cell exists in humans, and therefore there is no sex spectrum or additional sexes beyond male and female. Sex is binary. So listen to me for anyone here today that may be struggling with gender incongruence or gender confusion. Please hear me. Transitioning your gender will not make you more like who you're meant to be. It'll make you further away from who you're meant to be. Walt Heyer, he struggled from gender confusion from an early age. At his earliest recognition, age four, he struggled his whole life. Until the age of 42, he went undergone gender reassignment surgery. And he lived his eight year, for eight years as a trans female named Laura Jensen. During that time though, he was still unhappy he attempted suicide, and he has since gone back to his original gender and given himself to the study of, of gender transition. And these are the statistics he's compiled by research done by universities. He's found that 20% regret gender reassignment, 41% attempt suicide, 50% have depressive symptoms, and 90% have significant psychopathology. That just is a big word that means they have abuse or there's been traumas or there's been there's been factors that have led to psychological issues that are yet unresolved. So the question then becomes like, why then? Like so many people ask though, why then do I have real feelings that are not in line with what the Bible says or what, why do my desires and thoughts, what's why? Then why? Why is the big question. Would my feelings be different than what you're reading, Pastor? Truth number three. We are all prone to sexual confusion deviation and rebellion against God. Every single one of us are. I'm not villainizing 
one specific sin over other sins because every single one of us that have ever lived without exception has been born with sexual confusion, deviation, and rebellion against God. This is evident from the very beginning. From the very beginning of creation, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, when the, the serpent is in the garden, he says, did God really say, oh, you cannot eat from that? And the more they ask that question, the more they convince themselves that God's word cannot be trusted and, and that their way was better than God's way and that they, they went with what they felt rather than what they th- and what they thought rather than what God said. And, and that story is the same story for every single one of us. Every one of us, it's the same story. Sure, it may be different for every one of us. One, some of us, have, we're attracted to this sex, and others are attracted to this sex, and some, some of us lust after this, and others lust after that, and some of you go after that thing, and others of you go after that thing, but every one of us have rebellion. Every one of us have deviation, temptation to go against the will of God. Here's the challenge in our culture, though. We live in a culture that says, if you have a desire, then you should fulfill it. Like, you have the right to fulfill it. No one should... Stop you from fulfilling it, especially if you were born with that desire. If it's somehow attributable to your genetic makeup, then of course fulfill it. You have the right to fulfill it. Fulfill that desire. But let's just state the obvious. We all know that there are many desires we have that we choose not to fulfill. That would not be good or right for us to fulfill. Even the desires that maybe we believe are attributable to our genetic makeup. It might be an extreme example, but Time Magazine, they said that infidelity may be in our genes. So does that mean that a married man who desires a woman who is not his wife must fulfill that desire in order to be happy or fully himself? No. The presence of a desire does not excuse or promote unfaithfulness in marriage. Having a desire does not equate to what I should do. So the point is... We all have hearts that are prone to sexual confusion, to deviation, to rebellion against God, temptation to go against God. That's why no one can ever say and should ever say, God wouldn't allow someone actually to be born that way. That wouldn't what God does. No, God wouldn't do that. Every one of us are born that way, rebellious, confused, darkness born in it with sexual confusion, deviation, and rebellion. Every one of us are, so stop. Look, and so before you use the Bible as binoculars to like inspect somebody else's sin, would you look in the mirror? Because all throughout these scriptures that we're reading here, some of these sins, maybe, maybe it's not your particular brand of sin, but you got yours. You like to highlight somebody else's sin, but how about you look in the mirror? Every one of us are born. We're all prone to sexual confusion and deviation and rebellion from God. So we're all guilty. And just to kind of show you, let me give you the whole list of all the forbidden sexual acts in the Bible. 10 of them. Here they are. Fornication, adultery, polygamy, polyamory, rape, incest, homosexuality, bestiality, prostitution, sexual immorality. That word is just pornography, porn, or pagan sexual immorality. Now maybe, maybe you're, you're, you're one of these things or have done one of these things, but just because you haven't done those other ones, you think you're better. You are not. We are all born sexually confused and distorted and need the help and grace of Jesus. 
Now, in our culture, a lot of these are actually, we agree on. More and more, though, there's, there's just more separation and gap. None probably more than homosexuality than in our culture today that gay is good. There's a moral claim on homosexuality that it's actually good. But what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. Do not have sexual relations with a man as one does with a woman. That is detestable, God says. Luke chapter 20, verse, uh, Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13. If a man practices homosexuality, having sex with another man, as with a woman, both men have committed a detestable act. Now, before, like, before you go, oh, that's, some people go, well, that's in the Old Testament now, you know. In Leviticus, they actually says, don't, don't eat shellfish either, okay. There's some things in there. I get it. I get it. But you need to understand, the Old Testament laws, there's three categories. There's ceremonial laws, social laws, and moral laws, okay? Of course, the ceremonial and social laws, as we as Gentiles further remove, like, those, don't, those aren't bound. We're not bound to those things. But the moral law of God is reflective throughout all the word of God. And the word that is used detestable is not a ceremonial or social word. It is a moral claim that God says against this act. But what does the New Testament say? What does God say in the New Testament after the grace of Jesus revealed? I want to read to you a large portion of scripture. I'm just, we're here talking about what the Bible says. I'm going to read to you. I'm just telling you, we need to read this entire thing. Romans chapter 1, verse 18 through 32. And we'll just kind of pick out a few things, explain it. But this, I think, is a very accurate depiction of not only where they were in this time, this is Paul writing, telling them where they are at, at this time, but I believe we're even in a darker place right now. So this is what it says. Romans chapter 1 says this, But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth. Hey, right off the bat, can I tell you, God gets angry. Do you know that? Maybe you're, you don't like to think of your God as angry, but God does. God gets angry at sin. In fact, check this out. We have a choice to make. I can choose to drink the cup of God's wrath myself, or I can choose for Jesus to take the cup of wrath for me on the cross at Calvary. I have a choice to make. Like that, the wrath of God was poured out on Christ, fully satisfied for the sins of all mankind. I can choose to put my faith and trust and life in him and therefore not drink the cup myself, or I can choose to drink the cup of wrath that God has myself. Okay? So yes, God does, is angry with sin. Wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness, they know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. Like, it's so clear, he says, for ever since the world is created, people have seen the earth and the sky. Like, where did you think that come from? He's going, where do you guys think? The, the, through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuse for not knowing God. No one. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't submit to him. They wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks for what he's given them. And they began to think up a foolish ideas of what their version of God was like. And as a result, their minds became dark and confused. And it, I, again, it was true then. I think it's even more true now dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. Does that sound familiar? So God abandoned them to whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie, a deception, 
So they worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way of how God created them to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, how God created and designed it, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with men. And as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things reject God and rebel against God. They deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. And worse yet, they encourage others to do them also. Sexual sin is, is a result of worshiping creation instead of worshiping the creator himself and rebelling against God's authority. In fact, all, all sin is a result of rebelling against God's authority. And I'm aware that some of you might have family or friends who identify with LGBT, and I sympathize with that. And so we have a lot of mixed feelings right now because on one hand, we love the word of God and we love God. But on the other hand, we love people too. These are people that we love and we care about. So what do we do? Nobody wants to think about their loved one who's, you know, being, who's lost. So some Christians, what they've done is they, you know, resist the truth and they latch on to thinking that doesn't come from the word, it comes from the world. And so they'll say, oh, it isn't really that bad. Well, how am I? I'm like, I, I, what, what if they were born different though? Listen, please, your family, your friends, your feelings don't change the facts. Sin is sin. And God is never okay with sin ever. You can find a small minority, maybe of pastors or theologians or even denominations that like to say things like, oh, we found a better interpretation of the Bible, and those verses don't apply to us today. It's not a sin if it's in a committed relationship. Listen, that's false teaching. And the Bible says that that actually would come more and more. First Timothy chapter 4 says this. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times which we are in, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. He says, these kind of people that teach this, they're hypocrites, they're liars. Their conscience is dead. Some people would rather find false teachers to relieve their guilt than go to Jesus for, and relieve their guilt through repentance. Today, there are a lot of Christians who've been deceived by demonic teaching that tolerate sexual immorality, sexual sins. Oh, God won't mind. I mean, we all sin, right? We all sin. Who am I to judge? God understands that situation. I mean, I can't understand that situation. That's what Jesus says in Revelation chapter 2.20. Jesus said, nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. What does she do? She calls herself a prophet, teaching God's people, declaring God's word to his people. And by her teaching, she misleads my servants into what? Sexual immorality. See, tolerance can be counterfeit repentance. Those with family and friends, when you love the truth, listen, when you love the truth and you love people who are living in sin, it's going to cause sorrow. So what do you do with that pain and that sorrow? You've got to lean into it. You have to just, like, Jesus felt sorrow of the sinfulness of mankind. So what do you do with that sorrow? You love them. 
right where they're at. You don't shun them. You don't reject them. You love them. You show up for them. You serve them. You embrace them. You pray for them. And when God opens a door, you don't beat them with your Bible and your self-righteousness. When God opens the door, you share the love and the purpose of God with them. What you cannot do, though, is change the word of God. You can't. And what you can't do is find some false teacher who's going to make you feel fine so you can feel better. So, uh, soothe feelings won't save your loved ones. It's God's grace and repentance of sin that saves lost friends and families. Which leads me to this fourth truth about this topic, and that is we are all in need of reconciliation from God. We are all in need of reconciliation to God. So like I said, I'm not trying to convince you to believe in God or to love God. I'm just trying to reveal to you this God, like in spite of all of our inclinations and rebellion, who loves us so much and created a way in Christ for us to be reconciled in relationship to him. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 says this. Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourselves, he says. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or male prostitutes, that word for prostitutes, by the way, is, is a word for like cross-dressing for the sake of prostitution, like being feminine and you're not a female, or practice homosexuality, or thieves, or greedy people, or drunkards, or, or abusive, or who cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that. Some of you were once like that. Some of you, see, like, you like to highlight one of these things, homosexuality, and go, ah, see, but you were on that list. Some of you were once like that. Every one of us were born this way, rebellious. Every one of us. But you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. See, from the early days of the church, Jesus has been setting people free from sin, from greed, from sexual immorality, and even from homosexuality. He's been setting them free. Some people, God removes the simple desire altogether, and they're able to move forward with the normative, binary, sexual relationship and healthy marriage. Other people... God will give you the grace and the strength to resist the temptations that you have for same-sex attraction. Okay? You don't have to have sex. I know some of you are like, what do you mean? Well, I can't man. You don't. We live in such a sexualized culture. You don't understand. Like, like you can't. No, no, you can. Jesus, Jesus died a virgin. You know that, right? Never had, never had sex. So now some of us, we believe that, and I want you to just hear me. Here's what's most important to understand. God is not calling you to be straight. He's calling you to himself. See, he calls you to himself so that you can become a man or a woman who loves God more than anything else. Even more than the person of the same sex you're attracted to. Can you be a Christian, a follower of Jesus, with same sex attraction? Yes. Absolutely. It's what you do with the temptation. It's what you do with our rebellion, with our inclination, with our sexual deviation. Every one of us. Some of you click on that porn site. Statistically, 75% of you dabbled in porn before you got here. From week to week. You think your sin is different? Somehow more holy? Every one of us is born sexually divisive, rebellious towards God. Every one of us needs to be reconciled with God. Now, your sexual orientation is not the foundation of your identity. 
but it is deeply rooted in your identity or how God created us and the role he has for us. That's why later on in that same chapter of 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it says this, there is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our own bodies. These bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place, the place of the Holy Spirit? Don't you see that you can't live however you please? Squandering what God paid such a high price for. You see, God's love gives us something greater than tolerance. God just doesn't tolerate your sin and tolerate you. No, he doesn't just accept us as we are. He changes us into something better. He transforms us into who we're always meant to be. God receives all of us just as we are, but he loves us too much to leave us the way he found us. So if you're here today and you're listening to this message and you're struggling with gender dysphoria or with same-sex attraction, listen, it's not part of God's purpose and plan for you. If you have a friend or family member, love them. Share the love of God with them. Share the purpose of God. So what do you say? Actually, what would Jesus say to someone who's struggling with gender incongruence or same-sex attraction. What would Jesus say? It's no mystery. He'd say the same thing to me and you. And he did say it in Luke chapter 9. Then he said to who? Them all. Everybody, all of us. He said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. See, the cross is a place of inclusivity and equality. The invitation is for everyone. People want to overcomplicate this conversation and get into the what ifs and try to make excuses. But it's actually really clear. Every single human being, regardless of your past, regardless of your simple desires, regardless of your your sexual immorality, regardless of your experiences... We're invited to do the same thing. What is it? Die to yourself. Die die to who you are so you can live a new life that pleases God. And then deny yourself. Deny your simple desires. Deny the rebellion that exists inside of us. Deny the temptations that are inherent in humanity. And leave your old life behind. Whatever that was. Whatever was holding on to you. Whatever was holding you back so that you can follow the way of Jesus. See, the problem today is a lot of people are trying to figure out how to save their old life and follow Jesus at the same time. It doesn't matter what you're trying to hold on to today. Let me tell you, Jesus said it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work. You, you, can, it, you can't follow Jesus and keep living a sexually immoral lifestyle. You cannot. Which leads me to the Fifth, final truth, that we all can receive a new identity in Christ. Every single one of us can receive a new identity in Christ. And isn't it ironic that the LGBT community offers people a fresh start? The ability to recreate yourself. You can be who you want to be. You can 
You can even change your name. You get a new name if you want a new name. You get a new community of acceptance and belonging. Isn't it ironic that the LGBT community is offering what Jesus offers? That in Christ, you can get a fresh start. In Christ, you, you can be recreated and get a new identity. In Christ, you can get a new name written in the Lamb's book of life. In Christ, you can be accepted into a community of love community of grace. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 17 tells us how. When someone becomes a Christian, he becomes a brand new person where? Not through top surgery. On the inside. You can be changed from the inside out. He's not the same anymore. A new life can begin in a new identity in Christ. Romans 6, 6 tells us that we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the what? This body that was ruled by sin, that was ruled by rebellion, that's ruled by sexual immorality and deviation and temptation, that Jesus died on the cross, that this body, every single one of our bodies that's ruled by it, might be done away with and should no longer be slaves to sin. I don't have to give in to the temptation of my body, of my feelings, of my thoughts. I can give in to Jesus and get new power. To follow him, to live for him. I am not a slave to sin. This is what Jesus offers. So the question is then, what now then? What now? Okay, that's what the Bible says, but what are you going to do with it? What now? I think there's two things. Every one of us, how we respond to God's truth. The first response would be, just admit it. Admit who we are. Admit our sin. Maybe your brand of sin isn't, like maybe you, you think better about your, your particular brand of sin than others, but today you need to admit your sin. Some of you need to admit the sin of sexual immorality, deviation. Maybe it's not homosexuality. Maybe it's not same-sex attraction. Maybe it's your porn addiction. Maybe it's the secret things you do when no one's looking. Or what about the other list of stuff? Maybe it's your greed. Maybe it's your gossip. Maybe it's your... And we need to just admit that we are fallen, rebellious, deviated. Or maybe you're here today and maybe you have some gender confusion. Maybe you have already started to transition towards the other sex. Or maybe you're here today and you have same-sex attraction. Admit that those feelings, although very real, and maybe it goes back to your furthest memory, the earliest memory you have doesn't mean that's who you are. We're all born rebellious. Admit, okay, God, I'm not going to follow my feelings. I'm going to follow you. Psalm 51 verse 1 says this, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you've gone. It doesn't matter what kind of brand of sin that you, every one of us, we have the unfailing love of God. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, he says. That's available when you admit your sin. And then after you do that, here's what I'm asking you to do. Allow God to heal you. This church, hear me, this is a journey for the rest of your life, a journey of healing that I'm still on, that you're still on, that every one of us are being healed as we go through this crazy world and life and this earth experience. 
Allow God to heal your thoughts. Allow God to heal your memories. Allow God to heal your traumas. Allow God to heal your future. When you fall again, you slip again, you make a mistake, allow God to heal you. He is faithful, and he will. Job chapter 11, I love this. He says it like this. Yet if you devote your heart to God and stretch out your hand to him, if you put away the sin that is in your hand, and you allow no evil to dwell in your tent, look what he says, then you're going to lift up your face without shame. The face that God gave you. It's the last time you're able to just lift that up without shame before God. Just you. Who you are, where you are, what you've done. You will stand firm and without fear. You will surely forget your trouble regarding it as, recalling it only as waters gone by. God has, no matter where you're at today, no matter where you're at in the faith spectrum, the journey of faith, what God has to offer you is, a, is reconciliation and a new identity.